Hello and welcome to On Mission, a podcast by the Catholic Apostolate Center. My name is Kate Fowler and I am joined by Father Frank Donio and Chris Pierno, and we will be discussing the diaconate with our guest, Deacon Mark Creechy, the director of the diaconate for the Diocese of Crookston. Deacon Mark was ordained a deacon in June of 2017, and this is the second time that we welcome you on our podcast. Deacon, welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me, and congratulations on... I I just listened to your 100th episode, so congratulations (laughs) on that. Thank you. Quite the milestone. Deacon Mark... I think then the 12th anniversary of the Catholic Apostolate Center, is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. We had the the 12th anniversary, and... So in, in on October seventeenth, and it's mm-hmm. and and uh, disclaimer we we've done uh, over time a number of of different col- uh, collaborations together with the diocese of Crookston and particularly in Deacon Mark's other role around faith formation discipleship formation there mm-hmm. in the diocese and uh, so it's wonderful it's always great to have you because you bring to such a a, rit- a richness to our, our conversations. And in this topic, uh, we you were the first person we thought of. I, I said that before we started, um, because not only are you are you doing the formation pieces of it for the permanent diaconate there in, in the Diocese of Crookston, but you're also uh, overseeing their ministry within the diocese. And I think something that people don't realize, the other day in, in my class, at Catholic University in the practice of pastoral ministry, uh, which I'm team teaching right now, uh, I, I said to the class that we have half the world's permanent deacons, and they were so incredulous that one of them like went right to Google and uh, to get to and 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 she said, "You're right," and I said, "Yes, and we 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 do," and, it, and it's really been quite the it's twenty two it was twenty over twenty two thousand permanent deacons just in the United States alone. I don't think people realize the extent of the growth of something that was restored uh, back in, what was it, 1967? Uh, and and by mm-hmm. by Pope St. Paul VI. So, so what has that been, been like in terms of, of um, you know, the progression of the diaconate and its its role that we also know that there are these those who go uh, for a time the so-called transitional deacon uh, who a person who's who's going to be a priest but this role is is really a significant one now in so many dioceses across the country in the United States and and the permanent diaconate um, the restoring of the permanent diaconate would be the right way of saying it of course was brought back in the Second Vatican Council. In Lumen Gentium, the you know, the story goes that European priests, especially during World War II, and I've heard a, a group that were in Dachau said, we need the laity to be more diaconal, more servant. And they started talking about it. And then as the um, buildup to the Second Vatican Council came on, it was being talked about openly. Um, it, it went through the Second Vatican Council. There was a little bit of discussion about whether... Um, permanent deacons should be married or not, but that was pretty quickly set aside that, no, they don't have to be celibate. They, they can be married. And, uh, and then the United States was one of the very first nations 
uh, the nations, um, the bishop conference came together and developed then a program for the uh, creation of the diaconate in dioceses in the United States. Uh, 19, I think it was 1968 is when they first got things going. I was at a, a celebration of the 50th anniversary of the diaconate in the United States, and I cannot recall his name, but a, a bishop who played a role in crafting the initial um, national directory on the diaconate said that the diaconate was restored not because there weren't enough priests, but because there weren't enough deacons. And it had to do with you know bringing the holy orders of Christ the servant into the world, and that's why the diaconate was restored. And what are the origins then of the diaconate? This is an, an ancient ministry within mm-hmm. the, uh, the church of as part of holy orders, the sacrament of holy orders. Yes, and when, when people think of the origin of the diaconate, they typically think of Acts 6, when uh, the Christian community was growing in uh, Jerusalem, and um, the, dis- the distribution of food was getting a bit contentious. The the Hellenists, as it says in the, in the um, Bible, said, you know that they weren't their widows weren't being taken care of, and and so the apostles said, well, let's appoint seven men who will take care of that type of charity, that type of ministry, so that we can go about um, um, preaching. So, so the seven first seven deacons were um, selected. Saint Stephen. The interesting thing, of course, is that the very next chapter, what does Saint Stephen do? He goes and evangelizes and um, gets condemned and stoned to death, the first martyr of the church. Um, So um, you can go, though, to John um, 13, chapter 13, where we always think of the priesthood, of course, as being instituted by Jesus at the Last Supper, where he tells the, the apostles, do this in memory of me. But first, he washes their feet, and he wraps the towel around him. And he's their servant. And Jesus, of course, refers to himself as a servant. Um, you know, diakonai, I might be mispronouncing that, but the Greek word diakonai, the, the root of deacon, he, he wraps himself in a towel and, and is their servant and tells them you must first be a servant. Then you'll be at the altar and do this in remembrance of me. So both levels of holy orders Jesus, I've read Jesus instituted then at um, in John 13. It's it's one reason why the deacon's stole goes across our shoulder rather than over both shoulders. It's the idea that it's the towel. It's the towel that's hanging there to wash the feet of the apostles. And that's why the the spirituality of the diaconate is rooted in Christ the servant. Um you, you may no, notice when a deacon is at Mass, the deacon will send everyone on their mission. Go. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. And I tell the men in formation that to be a deacon, you should be the first person out the door. We're to take Christ the servant, living that spirituality in everything we do, in our families and at work, um, in our communities, we're to be reflecting Christ the servant um, out in the world. So when we tell people to go, we should be the first ones going into the world, carrying out all sorts of acts of charity and service and evangelization. So for for people still very unfamiliar with the diaconate and who is that guy up there? Is he a priest? Is he not? 
you know, where, what are his roles sacramentally? And as you're saying, as this servant role, how would you explain that to someone who says, well, is, is that like, you know, someone that's less than a priest or someone that wanted to be a priest or, you know, how, how would you explain that to, to your average Catholic or, or person um, attending mass? One quick story, if you don't mind. Uh, um, I've been at my parish now since 1987, and more years not a deacon and being a deacon. And now, of course, that's at my local parish. That's where I do the um, sacramental and liturgical ministry. And I was standing outside greeting people at the end of Mass, and a person who's known me since 1990 said to me, Have a good day, Father. Yeah. Yeah, and then he stopped, and it's like, well, the vestments, right? It just mm-hmm. comes out of you, right? Even though the vestments for the deacon are different than that of the priest. Um, yeah, I've I've been called. Well, are you a glorified altar boy? Um, are are you a wannabe priest? Are you assistant priest? Are you? And you know, the response is, um, I'm the servant. In in the first eight hundred years of the church, when the permanent diaconate was. Um, um, thriving and really thriving in the first 500 years, um, the the deacons were meant to assist the bishop. They were servants to the bishop. And in fact, all the deacons that um, you see in different parishes across the nation, uh, in the end, they are, you could say, on loan to the local pastor because we're all serving the bishop. And that's why in many dioceses, the bishop will give um, in, in um, you know, the letter that we receive, which states where we're going to be doing our ministry. In, in many dioceses, the bishop gives all deacons a common ministry. And so for in our diocese, the common ministry is we're supposed to um, reach out to people who have left the church and people who don't know the church. And so we're given this missionary mandate by our bishop, all of us. And then, you know, our local pastor, of course, is who supervises us, you might say. But we're still given um, our direction from the bishop. So we're there to assist the bishop in the local parish. And we do that by, of course, primarily assisting the priest. But a lot of folks think, well, you know, being a deacon then is helping out at Mass and maybe doing some baptisms and um, marriages, presiding at wakes, or funerals, and and all these things a deacon can do, but we are only doing those liturgical ministry ministries because we are doing acts of charity. We go out into the world and carry out acts of charity that we're called to do, and in such a variety of ways, and then we bring that charity back to the liturgy, and from the liturgy we're empowered to go out and do the charity. And, and so if a deacon is just help assisting at Mass, that's not being much of a deacon. You've got to be into the, into the world, bringing this Christ the servant representation um, into the world. Deacon, you mentioned earlier um, about the, the stole, and the, which I, I was really fascinated. I didn't uh, know a number of deacons over the years. I didn't realize the, the, the towel correlation, and that's actually very beautiful. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I, I was really moved to hear, I, it really makes a lot of sense to me. So could you talk a little bit more about some of the other 
um, symbols or things that we would see? You talked, you were mentioning the different um, vestment. Could you talk a little bit about some of those visual um, differences that would help us not make the same mistake someone made to you? Well, the 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 um, um, the one thing that happens when a deacon is assisting at mass, and this varies by the diocese because um, the um, bishop. Uh, there's a national standard, but the local ordinary, the bishop, of course, can establish the local standards. And so um, in many dioceses, the um, outer vestment of the um, deacon is the dalmatic. And it looks a lot like the chasuble that the priest wears, except we have sleeves and and the chasuble is more open. Um, uh, it, I, you know, and I know I've read this, but I can't remember the details. And it has to do with ancient vestments in the Temple of Jerusalem. But you better bring in an, another deacon to explain all the intricacies of that. The other thing, though, that um, is interesting as you move from diocese to diocese is whether um, the the deacon wears the clerics, you know, the Roman collar. And um, again, that is up to the local ordinary. Uh, about what that should look like. And uh, in some dioceses, um, you know, dress like this, you know, no, no cleric. A lot of us will wear like a pin though, or a cross or something. Um, in other dioceses, it's um, a black um, with a, you know, the Roman collar. And, um, and then it, what's interesting, our diocese is transitioning to um Deacons starting to wear clerics, but we'll wear the gray shirt, where the priests will wear the black shirt. But we'll we're to wear it only when we're in um, diaconal ministry, because most deacons, of course, they do not work for the church; they work in society, and that's the idea: is to bring holy orders into the world. And um, um, and and so, if if you are um, a farmer, uh, you wear your farming gear while you're farming but you're still Christ's servant. If you're a college professor, you wear whatever it is college professors wear these days. I still wear a suit and tie and all that, but but you still bring Christ the servant. Um, you know, so no matter what you do and what dress you wear appropriate for your, you know, um, position, um, you still bring Christ the servant. Um so, so that's that's it's an interesting thing as you um, get a gathering of deacons from different dioceses. Some will wear the, have the clerics, and some won't. Let's talk a little bit about in deacons. You have there are some deacons who are uh, who are married, but they have to be married before they're ordained a deacon. Mm-hmm. But there are also uh, some deacons who are. Uh, who are celibate and are permanent deacons. There's not as many of those, but that's a that that's a distinction that I think people don't necessarily know nor do and also what happens uh, in terms of of the uh, if someone's spouse the the wife passes away. Yes, and and that again it goes back to the early you know, uh, the initial time of the permanent diaconate that if you were married when you became a deacon, you, of course, stayed married. If your wife died, you entered into celibate vows. If you weren't married when you became a deacon, you took vows of celibacy. And and that's the way it is today. And so when my group was ordained, my cohort was ordained, there was 
um, uh, one of the deacons, he, he um, was not married, and so he took the extra vow of celibacy. But we all signed this document saying that we will abide by the um, national directory of the diaconate, which says that if um, a deacon, if a deacon's wife dies, then we're, we're automatically under the vow of celibacy. We don't have to restate it per se. So that's why you do have some deacons who either they were celibate or unmarried coming into the diaconate and have the vow of celibacy, or their wife died after ordination, and um, and the, you know they have then the vow of celibacy. Deacon Mark, what does diaconate formation look like? Um, what what does the process typically in, entail? Yeah, the the um, national um, directory of the diaconate, which is kind of the the manual for formation of deacons as well as um, deacon life, uh, was recently uh, redone by the nation's bishops and approved by Rome, and now it's being enacted. Um, Well, different dioceses, of course, can make some variation. The common expectation is that there are at least five years of formation. The first two years of formation are a period of aspirancy, and then the third year, the, the final three years, you're in a period of candidacy. Now, the difference there is that in aspirancy, of course, you, you have formation. And with that, um, men should always be having a spiritual director that they're meeting with. They, um, of course, are in connection with their local pastor, and there's always the approval of the local pastor that you receive. But then there's um, learning about um, the spirituality of the diaconate, about the prayer, life of clergy, and the liturgy of the hours. Um, there's also some study that goes on in the first two years. But the primary focus is discernment. And, and I always tell the men um, that there's really three levels of discernment that's going on. One, of course, is the man who is discerning to become a deacon. And there's also the discernment of Holy Mother Church, because through the bishop and officers that the bishop appoints, such as myself, you know, director of formation, um, you know, there's the discernment, is this man called to be a deacon? But then the third level of discernment, if if the man is married, is the deacon's wife. We always say that the first vocation for the deacon who's married is the marriage. And in fact, your first place where you live as a deacon is within the marriage. And so before the man applies, the wife has to give her permission. Um, When the man is done um, with the two years of aspirancy and applies for candidacy, the wife, his wife has to give permission. And then before ordination, uh, in that fifth year of formation, Leading up to ordination, um, in our diocese, we, we do it in December and we ordain in May. Uh, the wife has to give a final permission in the form of a, writ- a handwritten letter to the bishop stating her um, um, or stating that she gives her permission for him to continue in formation or, or be ordained. Um, as we move into the third year in candidacy, you, the Deacons all go through the rite of candidacy, just as seminarians would. Uh, They start taking theology courses. They also have ongoing spiritual formation. One of the things that the um, U.S. Catholic bishops brought in early on 
was a human growth component as well to help the men grow um, personally, you could say. And in fact, that's why I've been involved in deconformation in our diocese since it began in 1989. I'm a psychologist and I was brought in to lead the human growth class. Um, the, the wife is expected to attend. Uh, so that's one component that the wife is expected to attend. We invite wives to um, attend um, any aspect of formation, but they're required to attend that. And I, if you're interested, I could go into the root of that and why that developed. Um, but in those three years then, um, you know, it's really fun to watch the guys take philosophy and fundamental theology and Christology and synoptic gospels and um, uh, Acts and New Testament and, uh, you know, go th- the Old Testament um, because you have men every anywhere from a high school degree through advanced doctoral degrees and uh, they're all in this together. Um, typically, they're all out of their element because I have yet to have a theologian enter deacon formation. So this is all new studying for them, no matter how much schooling they've had before. Uh, there's one guy who comes to mind who is an accountant, a great accountant, but he said, I've never had to read so much. So it, it's a great time of growth, though. And um, it, it's it's fun to see that People who are wary of philosophy, um, by the fifth year, they're talking about Plato's theory of forms and what have you. So, so what does pastoral formation then look like in in the program? Yeah, in our diocese, the way we we do that is in the first two years uh, during aspirancy. You know, we look at the role of um, Christ the servant, and what does that mean for all Christians. And then in the third, fourth, and fifth year, the focus um, of our weekends, we get together one weekend a month from Friday night um, into Sunday. And that's primarily the the human growth, spiritual growth, and then pastoral formation. So pastoral formation, anywhere from learning something like empathic listening, and and how do you do that, and how do you grow in that? Two, of course, you know, how do you preside? How do you lead prayer? How, how do you lead spontaneous prayer? And, and we practice. We practice spontaneous prayer. Some do it very easily. Some it's a little bit something they have to learn anyway. Um, and then presiding um, at, in the sacraments and other liturgies. We also go through an extensive um, focus on the deacon as a missionary disciple. But really, we... we you know, frame it because we, we have the wives participate in this. It's really Christians as missionary disciples. And what does that mean? How do you live that every day of your life? As I tell the men in formation that discern out of the program, and, you know, some times they'll express words along the lines of, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't go to the end, or I, I'm sorry I'm letting you down, or I'm sorry I'm letting the church down, or the parish down, or whatever. But I tell them, look, you've spent two, three, four years growing as a missionary disciple. That's what the Holy Spirit was calling you to do. Now go into your parish and live as a missionary disciple. Go into your community and live as a missionary disciple. So it's something that whether they stay in one year or five years, they, I hope anyway, grow deeper as missionary disciples. 
Um, I, w- I was wondering if the diaconate has always historically been male um, and has, and does the church have any like teaching on that per se, like in the church history, were there any, were there ever any female deacons? Well, this, this is um, something that um, has been open, opened by Pope Francis, you could say reopened by Pope Francis in some debate. In, in the New Testament letters, there are references, and, and in um, early writings in the church, there are references to uh, deaconesses. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's like the, the um, rough translation into English. When you look at the original Greek, it's, it's not quite the same. Uh, it's more like attendants, um, servants, um, uh, and so Pope Francis um, convened a commission. Um, uh, oh, I, it was pre-COVID, um, and uh, and asked, "Is there a um, um, biblical framework uh, or a historical framework for female deacons?" Um, as I recall, that they came out, and there was mixed opinion. Mm-hmm. Some said yes, and some said no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the yeses were well; these women were given these titles. Um, the no, though, was they weren't called to sacramental ministry. They were, for instance, assisting when women would be baptized. A lot of times, the women would take off all of her clothing and go in mm-hmm. to the water for full immersion, and female deaconesses were with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that group was, you know, so mixed. So just before COVID hit, um, Pope Francis convened another group to take a look at, given what this first group said, would there be a way then, or sh- is there a way to recognize through ordination or some other form of um, recognition females in a in a servant role? And I know there there are there were people from around the world that were appointed to this. Two deacons from the United States, James Keating and Dominic Serrato, um, were appointed to that. And um, I would say, you know, maybe give them a call and ask, but they're under the papal seal, so I don't think they can say anything. So, and and that I don't know where that's at. Another question I had, as Father Frank mentioned earlier. You said over half the deacons are from the United States. Deacon Mark, can you explain why why that is? Uh, hope you know multiple layers here, and I'll try not to give you the full college professor answer to this. But um, it, one, because the bishops in America supported the diaconate, and you know if you think about it, um, when when Lumen Gentium was written in the early 1960s, just for example, our diocese, our little diocese in northwest Minnesota, we now have 30-some priests actively serving, some retired ones as well. At the time, we had 88 priests and over 300 sisters that resided in our diocese. And the Holy Spirit moved through the council to say, we have to bring back the diaconate. Um, well, um, the U.S. bishops um, jumped on this, and and um, some bishops weren't excited and delayed it. Ours in our diocese, we didn't really start it until the 1980s, um, late 80s. Um, but slowly, um, you know, the numbers grew, and the, the the word went out about how parishes were transformed or um, uh, or supported or enhanced 
by having um, deacons present. Um, you know, it, I, I go back to a, a, a now dearly, a much beloved Monsignor in our diocese who's now, he's died. Uh, I knew him for many, many years. And um, he didn't think we really needed permanent deacons in our diocese. And he said this publicly, so I'm not sharing anything out of turn. Um, and, and, and so the bishop at the time appointed him in charge of developing the deacon program. And he, in fact, then he's the priest who brought me on to be the director of human formation, human growth. Mm. Um, well, after he retired, he was in residence in our parish. And in fact, the first mass I served, he was the presiding priest. And I probably have that picture of the two of us. And he said, boy, was I wrong about the diaconate. What the deacons are able to do that I as a priest never could. Mm. Um, and, and so I think the U.S. bishops really, you know, grabbed onto that. You also see in European countries, um, you know, England, um, parts of Germany, um, um, you know, those are, are large numbers there. Australia has a number of deacons. You don't see many deacons in um, India, although that's starting to grow. Um, but we have a number of priests from India, and they said, yeah, the first time I met a deacon is when I came over here. We just don't have them in India or South America or Central America, um, um, at parts of Africa. You don't, you know, the bishops' conferences haven't brought in the permanent diaconate. There are the vocation directors, and you see these, 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 the need to for priests. And so the, the, there's a lot of focus on that in diocese. I don't know if I've ever quite seen a promotion of let's promote the vocation of deacon. And, and so somebody does somebody wake up one day and say, I think I want to be a deacon. It, it, it seems a, a little different than people coming to religious communities at, or people who are, are, are looking at, at priesthood. And so how does that work? And, and is there, do you have a more active program of promotion of the vocation of the deacon in, in mm. the diocese? In our diocese, uh, where you see the deacons you know, located, and we have a lot of small rural parishes. Um, uh, you know, the, the largest town or city, as we call it, but the largest town in our diocese is, uh, the population is like 38,000. I think it is, or maybe it's 40-something now. Um, and what we find, of course, is that early on, a priest, a pastor, invited men. I'd like you to check out the diaconate. And then those parishes started to have one deacon. And then, like, another got interested, and then another. And, and then the neighboring parish saw this deacon sometimes come over. And so then that sparked interest in um, a man or, or uh, sparked interest in a parishioner who went up and invited someone to consider the diaconate. Kara uh, always does this yearly survey on the diaconate, and then they did this big comprehensive survey of the diaconate uh, on the 50th anniversary. And one of the most common things that men, that deacons reported when asked, what made you begin to think about becoming a deacon? They reported, somebody else came up and suggested I discern that. Very similar to what young men report about the priesthood, too. 
Um, so there's a culture of invitation, I think, that's really important um, before a culture of uh, advertising, if that's the right way to put it. Uh, you know, what, what we do in our diocese is uh, we start uh, new cohorts. It was every five years. We're actually starting them every four years because there's this growing interest. And, um, you know, the, the, the numbers are not huge by um, archdiocesan standards, maybe, but by our numbers, by our standards, you know, there's this growing wave of, of deacons coming, of men coming forward to discern the diaconate. Uh, and and so right now, for instance, what we're doing is we're holding a series of discerning the diaconate sessions this fall so that um, men who are invited or see the bulletin announcement or hear about it at Mass think, I want to check this out. They get hold of me. We gather men around the diocese and their wives in a Zoom session, in, 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 um, introduce the diaconate. Then we bring them. We'll be, we'll be bringing them all together in December for a day of reflection on the diaconate. Then they they move into and we open up applications in the spring, where we have applications, interviews that take place, and and really a, um, we invite the men to enter into regular prayer by um, the liturgy of the hours, the morning and evening office. We have the men begin to meet with a spiritual director if they're not already doing so. And then this leads to um, a decision that will be coming up this summer of accepting um, these men into the next formation cohort that will begin in September. One of the things I found fascinating is when working with, with men who are discerning their vocation in life, you'll, you'll hear priesthood marriage, religious life, but I'm now also hearing diaconate, mm-hmm. the, 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 the diaconate, that this is something that they see as a possibility, which I did not hear, let's say, 20-some years ago. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm hearing it more because the, I think, partially I think because they've just experienced the ministry of deacons and they say, oh, okay, this is a this could be another path. I could be married and yet called to this, possibly called to this. Now, but there isn't an age factor here in canon law. You, you need to be a certain age in order mm-hmm. to begin formation for the diaconate. Yes, yep. Yep. You have to be 35 in order to begin formation. And then the upper age range. Um, it's it's more open to diocesan interpretation. We have it that you have to be, um, you cannot be older than 60 when you begin formation. Uh, most, um, the average age for our men beginning formation is in their 50s. Um, we'll have some younger men come in and they'll have kids and what have you. And you see the kids grow up during the five years of formation. Um yeah, but most most men um, enter deacon formation in their fifties. You know, I think another thing that's helping with the growth of the diaconate is prayer. Um, you know, it, the, the 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 Sunday intention of you know for vocations to the priesthood and relig- religious life. Well, now more and more I'm hearing for vocations to the priesthood, religious life, or the diaconate. Let us pray to the Lord. And I, of course, believe that that prayer plays a role. The Holy Spirit plays a role in this growth of the diaconate. I don't think I've ever not heard the diaconate be included in that 
um, particular intention. Actually, I because I think if I did, it would certainly stick out to me as oh, you didn't mention that. But yeah, interesting. When when I travel around the diocese um, and I'll assist at mass. Uh, for all sorts of reasons as I go about the diocese, one, for one reason or another. Um, and I read the intentions then. The deacon typically reads the prayers of the faithful, the intentions during Sunday Mass. And if deacon isn't included in a vocations prayer, I'll, of course, just insert it. But then afterwards, I'll, I'll teasingly say to Father, I say, Father, who writes these intentions? They forgot about me. You know, <laughs> they forgot about the deacons. <laughs> So I, th- I think the word is out there now, too, about, okay, let's always use, you know, include the deacons. Deacon Mark, were you invited by a friend or, or fellow parishioner to consider the diaconate, or would you mind sharing a little bit about your own discernment journey? Well, yeah, so in 1989, I was uh, 28 years old and, you know, a psychologist. And so, and, and as I said, the priest, the Monsignor, who's putting together the deacon formation program, knew me since I was in fifth grade. So he invited me to start, um, to come up with a plan of what human growth would look like, and then to lead that element of formation. So uh, over the years, um, the men who were going through formation and their wives were, you know, very um, lovingly inviting me to consider the diaconate. Mark, you should be thinking, you should be in this, you should be doing this. And and my wife and I, um, we you know we prayerfully reflected on that, and it, you know in the early nineties, yeah, no, maybe one day, but just not yet. It just didn't seem right. And then in the early two thousands, I actually dropped out of teaching the human growth class because I uh, at the university where I'm teaching, I took on um, significant administrative duties, and I just had to cut a lot of that stuff out and really got away from it. Uh, which actually, though, then helped me realize I was missing something. There was something I needed to do. And I went on a curcio, and, which is this retreat for men and women. There's women's curcios, men's curcios. I went on a curcio, and it just hit me. Oh, yeah, it's time to become a deacon now. It's time to begin to discern this anyway and enter the formation. So I, I, I came home from that, and as I recall the conversation with my wife, she said, yep, yeah, you know, yeah, okay. It, it was like she was expecting this, and um, I resigned from my administrative role, went back to the faculty, and entered formation at that point. And it, it, and it was a, 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 through the ups and downs of formation, it was beautiful. It was just a beautiful thing to be part of, and ministry is just a beautiful thing to be part of. Thank you for sharing. There are a a variety of groups of people who listen to this podcast and a lot of church professionals and, and maybe a lot of deacons, who knows? What would you, what's your kind of word to maybe some, uh, you talked about, you know, you about people who might be considering it, but what, what do you have anything to say to someone, a deacon that might be listening right now? Any words of encouragement? Well, to a brother deacon who's listening to this right now, first of all, I'd say thank you for your ministry and continue to be that icon of Christ the servant. Every minute of every day, you know, we fail. I, I fail, right? We, we fail in this. But it's, it's, it's the law of the gift. You know, the more you give yourself away, 
just the more the love flows. It's a beautiful thing, as I said before. And so that's what I would say to my brother deacons. Continue to just live as Christ the servant. You know, and for men who might be listening to this, going, well, maybe this is something I should do after listening to this. Well, uh, again, you know, enter into prayer and and recognize that a common thought that people have is, oh, I can never do that. I'm not holy enough. I don't pray enough. I don't know enough. I could, you know, and just down the list they go. Um, but But none of us were ready to be a deacon when we first thought about becoming a deacon. That's what formation does. And formation will guide you. And and you'll know, and Holy Mother Church will know, if God is calling you to the ministry of the deacon. Thank you very much, Deacon Mark, for joining us today. It was a joy to learn more about the diaconate, the process of formation for deacons, and just what a wonderful gift that the vocation to the diaconate is to our church and to our world. So thank you so much for, for helping us learn more about that today. If you'd like to learn more about vocational discernment, we invite you to visit our website at catholicapostolatecenter.org and check out our resource page on vocational discernment. This wraps up another episode of On Mission by the Catholic Apostolate Center. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find this and other Center podcasts at catholicapostolatecenterpodcast.com or on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you.